whether or not you identify with those nuances specific to that story, it's still a story we haven't seen yet. And I think we're all just realizing, yes, 100%, there needs to be a fine balance between all of these specific, just Asian American stories or specific, whatever, descent stories, I think. But we're finally realizing there is room for all of it and that there it, we have to create that space. And I think for so long in the industry wise, we were all just trying to get a seat at the table, but we're now like, oh no, we're making our own fucking table. You're listening to Strong Asian Leap, a podcast platform for Asians across the diaspora to share their stories about what it means to be an Asian creative in the entertainment industry. Throughout this podcast, you'll hear me and my guests have deep discussions about with the industry, the paths they forge, and their unique experiences on and off the film set. I'm your host, David Masami Moria. Thank you for tuning in. Our mission as Strong Asian Lead is to amplify the creative power of the Asian entertainment diaspora, create space for artists to tell their stories, and provide resources to support emerging artists in their careers. This week, Emmy and I had the opportunity to speak with Nikki Ishikawa. You may know her from the Terror Infamy, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and many other television cameos. I remember we when we did this episode, it was so soon after the Atlanta shootings, I didn't feel well at all. I felt sick. I felt so depressed and so angered and just exhausted. I'm so thankful for like Emmy who could do this episode. And so you'll actually hear her hold the conversation for the first half because I my grogginess. Thank you, Emmy. I know you're listening to this episode right now and just thank you for everything that you do. I'm human. You're human. We're all doing our best to do whatever we can. And sometimes when we're doing these quote unquote professional things, we have to be human. And so I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm just going to say that's what happened. And if you ever have that issue with yourself, give yourself grace, give yourself to say like, these things happen and we can be human. Like literally I was on the live cast. Anyone, if anyone saw me on the live stream, I had not eaten. And so I actually took my camera and my video into the kitchen and made myself some Japanese omelet. Because not only I think it's important to take care of myself, but I didn't want to leave my team. I didn't want to leave everybody and I was dedicated to being there. And as much as I thought about after, oh, that's distracting and kind of weird and whatever, I didn't care. Like I still needed to feed myself. I was coming off the vaccine flu and, and I really needed to eat. So that's what I did. And I have to give myself grace. And I hope you give yourself grace too when you're building your thing and you have to be human because sometimes we just have to be human. Anyways, I'm off on a tangent. Let's get into this episode with Mickey Ishikawa and... Yeah, let's get into it. Mickey, we first met you virtually in in Clubhouse, I believe. But I know that David watched The Terror. I have to admit, I did not only because I'm a full-blown wimp, cannot handle any stories with ghosts. But I watched every single trailer and read every single synopsis that I could because I can't handle. <laughs> I still appreciate the support. Don't worry. No, honestly, a lot of the people like my friends and other people too, they're like, we really want to watch it, but we just can't. We're such scaredy cats. And I'm like, it's fine. Or I feel your support. So I'm, I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it because <laughs> we need to do it for the people. And I'll just do this. That's <laughs> and my grandma but, said the same thing. No, it was actually really funny. It was I get I told my dad. I swear I told my dad. Okay, it's a horror, <laughs> but with this the Japanese American incarceration and all. I I told him, and I had him come to the screening actually with his wife, and he like squirmed through it and had no idea that this was the show. And he was like the whole time like pinching his wife and be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And I and then he told me afterwards, I was like. I'm pretty sure I told you. He's like, no, you didn't tell me it was a horror. And he's like, oh my God. 
And then bless him, he watched every week and he tuned in. He was like, like this, like his hands over his eyes, obviously. And he was just like, he was so hard to get through. And I was like, well, I appreciate you watching it. That's love. That's what we got to do for great content that drives <laughs> the conversation, obviously. Mm-hmm. We love to dive into people's family stories and their mm. identity. So we'd love to know how you identify any way, shape, or form. That is a completely (laughs) open-ended question. And tell us a little bit about what your identity means to you and how that relates to your family. So I identify myself as American first and then Asian American female. It's interesting because of the type of work that I do. I'm already placated into boxes. So I try not to put myself into a box because although, yes, of course, like I'm a proud Asian woman, Asian American woman, I also am so much more than that. And at the end of the day, just to say American, and it's interesting, I've been having this conversation with some people and a lot of my friends like internationally, right? America is one of the only places where you say Black American or African American or Mexican American, Asian American, that already is these titles and boxes that we've been having to put ourselves into. And that's so interesting because if you go to England, like you're just British. You're not, you're, you're not, of course there's other things too. And I'm not saying that for every country, but like for the most part. And so America is very unique in that sense of what our identity identify as what we identify as. And yeah, again, like going back to my, my roots my parents are from Japan they're immigrants to the States. They lived here for over 30 years. And that was an interesting upbringing as well too, because my, I have two older brothers and my struggle is a, a little bit different than my older brothers. They definitely had it probably a lot more difficult than I did, but you know, I have a lot of memories as well too. But especially with my oldest brother, like he, he struggled with identifying, like we lived in, we were all born in Denver, Colorado. And at that time for him and he's 10 years older than me, but you know, he called himself a banana and he really struggled with the traditions of my parents and then trying to conform to fitting in as like a white, it, like in a what like white community was, cause he was yeah. one of the only Asian kids. And I, Mine is a little bit different. Like I I lived in Denver till I was three and then I moved to Hawaii. Mm. And then Hawaii being like a very obviously multicultural Asian centric area is my identity was never really questioned. And everyone was just everyone loved each other. And like obviously the Hawaiian spirit is also just everyone's Hana and everyone's family. But then I moved to the to LA when it going into fourth grade Mm. and I moved into Hermosa Beach area, Redondo Beach area, South Bay. And it just I was I I then was made to realize what I was and that I was Asian and everyone made me know. And I was well aware of that at that point. So it's, I have all these things, right. Of, of just like everyone else telling me now what I was and rather than me trying to figure it out. And obviously again, like, yeah, we spoke Japanese at home and it's just so many different things of everyone's upbringing is so different, how their experience is so different, but, and then going into the industry at a really young age, then again, being told like what I was and that I mm. clicked off certain boxes. I've had, I've never struggled with my identity, but I definitely have aware of what other people tried to make me out to be. And so that's been an interesting like uphill battle to stand my ground and learn. And I'm, of course, I'm still learning and, and coming into my own, but yeah. So it's just like all these, the, our exterior and how much that placates what our identity is. That's so inspiring (laughs) to me. David and I have had different experiences with our own identity, but I also, with moving around a lot, found myself being given labels by other people. Whereas at a young age, I had the privilege of growing up in a community where I literally thought everybody's, at least everybody had one Japanese parent and Mm. one non-Japanese parent. And when I moved to the States, those labels kept coming, but 
I actually don't think I found that strength to really define myself until maybe even just beginning my late twenties. Mm-hmm. And to hear, oh my gosh, I can't wait for like other people to hear your story <laughs> to realize that they don't have to wait for other people to label them. They can define themselves. And even mm-hmm. there's sometimes the gift of a label makes you think, oh, okay, maybe this is a part of me. But that exploration is truly one of your own. It's Completely so your own journey. Yeah. You had mentioned that you joined the entertainment industry at a young age. Could you share mm-hmm. a little bit about how you got into the entertainment industry and why <laughs> you wanted to be be a part of it? Yeah, my, my, my story is pretty unique, especially like being from like a traditional Japanese family. My mom was actually not very traditional. Like my mom, my dad's side of the family is very traditional. All about academia and good schools, good grades, like everything like that. And my dad as well. But my dad, he, he was sent to study abroad here when he was a teenager. So that journey in itself is really interesting for him. So he, not that he is... He doesn't identify himself as American, really, even though he is American at this point. And my mom, she actually was, she was like pursuing modeling and those kinds of things. So she was already like, she grew up in Roppongi, which is like party central. And so she had a very different upbringing than my dad. And yeah, so she, anyway, she moved to the States, they got together and she was pursuing that. So I grew up watching my mom like modeling and doing commercials and that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it just seemed cool. So she pulled me into it at a young age. I think my first photo shoot was like two. And she said, I like sobbed on set. She's like, oh, this girl's not cut out for it. And also as I got a little bit older, more when we moved to Hawaii, then I started doing like commercials and like print stuff. And it was like fun. And at the same time, I was like doing a whole bunch of other things. And I was still obviously studying and all these things, but my dad never really said anything. And then we moved to LA and I really was like, yeah, I want to do this. It just, it was on top of it being fun. I just was like, I really loved doing it and the attention of it and like other things, meeting fun people. Like it was just, so I started, um, really started, like I signed with my first agent when I was 11. So like I really started working and then I 11 to 12, like I booked my first show and then moved on from there. So I, it's very interesting upbringing because again, my parents didn't really force me to go to college or do all these things. My dad, I think the only thing he ever said was just, yeah, make sure you have good grades. That's it. My grandparents back in Japan were like, what is she doing? And then again, like both my brothers, they, they opted out of college. So then it became like this thing of, okay, Mickey has to go to college. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go to college. And because I was already working so much by then. And I just was like, you know what, this is what I'm pursuing is my career. I can go back to school if I wanted. And it just wasn't a priority for me. So like I graduated in three years, I homeschooled for high school, like, I just wanted to finish got good grades, all those things, I was fine. But yeah, very unique and very different. So I have to remind some of my friends sometimes that I was a child actor. And it's such a weird combo because I already feel like I'm 29. I'll be 30 this year. But honestly, I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes already in such a short period of time. Like I forget the things that I've already experienced at a very young age. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've done that already. And I just, the way I move and the way I experience or have experienced things is just, yeah, it's just so different. (laughs) Wow. Dang. So that journey from, you really have created like your own, designed your own life in many ways, (laughs) it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And then also like I have the opposite experience of a lot of my friends now because they all started pursuing um, this industry, maybe at not a super late age, but like a later age than I did, obviously. And then yeah, like when I, I turned 21, couldn't get any work, couldn't yeah. nothing. So then all of a sudden, like, 
had to like experience real life of getting a real job and Mm -hmm. um, still pursuing what I wanted to do, but like living paycheck to paycheck and not knowing like how to survive and all those things. And I don't regret any experience that I've ever had to go through though. I really do believe I'm a huge believer that everything does happen for a reason, whether we understand it or not. And so I'm really grateful for everything that I've had to go through in that struggle because it was like all of a sudden, like I'm used to not that I had lived a certain lifestyle, like working and being on set and those kinds of things was my life. And all of a sudden now I can't even get a job, can't not even being sent on auditions and just so much stuff. And so it was like a huge, and I went through that period for six years before I started actually working again. And yeah, it was tough. I never gave up and I never wavered from what I wanted to do. It wasn't like, oh, this is for the birds. I just kept going. This is just what I need to go through right now. So I, I am really grateful for everything I've had to experience. And I think if anything, it just put the log in my fire. Of I just need to keep working harder and harder. Was there a moment throughout your career, through your experiences in the industry from young age to, to now that catalyzed your advocacy for Asian American representation? Was that a through line throughout? It's still a process. I will say that. But I think like I can tell you my earliest experience. So when I was, I think I was like 12, I was up for my first TV show, a lead on a TV show. And it was between me and a girl of Hispanic descent and went all the way to, to test for the show and everything like that. And you're so young and you're so excited. And I was so naive and obviously didn't know anything, but it was just exciting to even be in this position now. And, um, in so few words, and this is again, such a long time ago, but basically the feeling and what I was pretty much told was that the reason why I didn't get it was because Asians don't have a bigger demographic than Hispanic or the Latino, you know, Latinx community does. And so that's pretty much the reason. And I was heartbroken because it's that was the moment I was, I realized, oh, we are inferior to every other race. We are not looked at. And I just... I accepted that as sad as that is. And being at that age, like, again, like from, from all my experiences, even before that, like just to take that seat back is hard, but they still love me. They still put me on the show in a smaller role, obviously. And then I went on to do some other stuff, but that was a big eye opener for me. And it did again, it just, I was so accepting of that, of like my position as an Asian American actor. And then even just like growing up in the industry, like every time we go to auditions, there's like me plus five other of the same girls. And we all never spoke to each other. It was like the coldest thing. We all just felt this competition, like, un- like unspoken competition that there's only one of us. So we couldn't be friends. Wow. And that really is what the industry has done. Like as far as pitting us against each other, that we don't, there is not enough room for everyone. And it's so interesting that like now as an adult and where I'm at exactly in my life, like I have a group of girlfriends right now that are all Asian actresses, Asian American, Asian Canadian, and we all are around the same age group and we all go for the same things, but we are the most supportive of each other. And it's, we literally cried the other day of just, and we're so grateful for this friendship because Mm -hmm. we all wish we had it when we were younger, because we know how hard it's been to feel like you're the only person but we're it's the times change the times has has changed so i think for me it's really only been in the last couple years of me experiencing what does it mean and what does my representation mean in this industry and how does it affect the community and how does it affect people being seen and and i'll tell you even this past literally this hit me just yesterday i started getting an outpour of people girls asian women asian girls reaching out to me 
DMing, all this stuff, and basically just saying, you have no idea how much it means to see you on this big of a show. And and when I did, like I had, when I signed up, I didn't think about that. <laughs> but then to read that was like, it just so profound. And it really reminded me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And which is if I can just inspire one person, that's all that matters. And I've done my job, I can move on. And in whatever, in, like, whatever that means, right? Like inspiring them, if this is what they want to do, or if they want to have something in a creative field or just be seen. And right. it's just, it's so crazy that we're still at this point where it's like a shock to see someone of that looks like us in a certain position, rather it being like, oh, cool, she just happens to be Asian. I know I'm jumping ahead in so many things. But yeah, it was just like that happened yesterday. And I was just like, this is crazy. And I definitely it was beyond me. So I'm very grateful for everyone that has reached out for me because of that. And it, it, it truly does mean a lot to me. No, that's amazing. It's really important for people to see, see yourself do that and see others mm -hmm. achieve such a status. No, if anyone hasn't already heard on a podcast or somewhere else, or you're on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think that's a huge deal. That's Disney Plus. That's Marvel. It's a huge leap for um, just to see your representation, but not only for us as a community, but for yourself as a, an actress as well, I'm sure. And you've already expressed how you feel, but what does that, what were some of your favorite moments or what made you feel that way that made you feel like this was really special? So even when I signed on, to be honest, it was a whirlwind. I... It was like, I don't even know if I have recollection, to be honest, of a lot. It was just like, okay, boom, you got it. Okay, boom, you're going. I didn't know who I was. They didn't, Marvel is super secretive. I still care. It's just so much stuff. I literally didn't know who I was playing until I was like flying there, which was also like, can you be on a flight in four hours? So it's insane. It's intense. It's like a lot of things. So I had no time to think about what does this role mean? Or anything. It's just Marvel is super freaking cool. And am I allowed to cuss on this, by the way? If I drop some bombs, it's because I have a potty mouth. Absolutely. But I just censored myself by saying freaking. So there you go. But I had no time to and like literally just being on set, like no time. It just literally was like, okay, I'm here. Let me do my job. Let me do a good job. No thought process of let me let represent like nothing. Just was like, cool, we're here. And that for me was so it's only now literally as it's released that I've now been able to acknowledge all of this stuff because for me at the time, like definitely didn't think about it even afterwards didn't think about it. Because again, for me, sometimes and I think a lot of other people can relate. sometimes it's just a job for us. And we're just still trying to get a job. And of course, like there is all these things of what does this mean? And what could potentially happen? And all that. But I think we already have so much pressure on ourselves to just even get a job and do the job well that I think by adding on a layer of I'm representing the community, it's a lot of pressure. And we already pressure ourselves as enough as artists. And I think at least for me, I, I try to avoid that because I don't want to feel like I have the burden. Not I wouldn't say burden is a hard word, just have this you know, the pressure of carrying the community or representing the community in whatever light. So there's that. But as as far as moments, I'm like trying to remember it was just so crazy. It's just that's exciting. But like Sebastian Sam is wonderful and he was amazing to work with and I didn't know what to expect obviously going on to say you have no idea when you enter something of this of a, a big of a machine and I had a great experience it was great overall and it was just so interesting because I couldn't talk about it with anyone couldn't say it, it was just like this secret that I was holding for so long and then yeah like obviously I didn't I saw it with all of everyone when it released I had no idea like I saw a tiny clip when I had to go record, but that's pretty much it. Like no idea. I was terrified that they cut me out. I don't know. Like mm -hmm. that's just also part of the actor's life. Like, we don't feel safe until literally it's out. And then we see it and we're like, okay, cool. Because also you have no idea, especially that of being a person of color. 
it's we already feel again like inferior in that sense of like we don't know how much of our storyline contributes to another storyline that that isn't poc yeah like what what viewpoint we're coming from how is mm-hmm. it being seen and how is it being mm-hmm. recorded everything like that hasn't even written but and just to add i think they did a wonderful job of not fetishizing not making it a thing that i was asian it just we happened to be asian so i, I will say like kudos to to marvel and everyone over there for making this as not like a thing about asians it just happened to be a place that he went to happened to be the friend that he made happened to be the girl that he go on days like that they're asian that i think is already like such huge advance yeah and we're recording this the, the week after the first premiere so i haven't seen we have no one's have seen the second or any further episodes but we're launching this in may when it should be mm-hmm. already all, all launched but even from the first episode and uh from your previous some of your previous roles how does it make you feel that you're being played that you get to play a japanese role mm-hmm. instead of just a general asian role or playing another an ethnicity and how and like, how does that make you feel? This is a really interesting topic. I wouldn't say I'm struggling with it. Like, obviously, I think for even for Falcon Winter Soldier, I will say like, it wasn't, I'm trying to think. Oh, it was description in Japanese. Sorry, I will say. <laughs> but as far as the industry goes, this is a really touchy subject. Just because, again, the way that everything's headed of like being so specific of how castings are of like, must be of Japanese descent or must be of whatever it's hard because there aren't enough roles to begin with. And so even my stance on this honestly has changed a lot. I used to very much be like, no, a person of this descent must only be able to play this type of character if that character calls for it. But now just seeing and having conversations with so many people and stepping back, it's no, I, I, for me, I do believe like we need to really open this up of not at the end of the day, an actor is just an actor of getting a job and we can't fault them for the decisions of casting that is being made. And I even like posted a Twitter, that tweet about this. And I remember so many people, I just wanted to know what people thought. And I think this conversation continuously needs to happen. I think this conversation needs to happen with casting directors and studios as well, because as Asians were quote unquote, like the monolith, right? So we're all just one group. But then all of a sudden now, because they're trying to be PC, now it's, oh, must be of Chinese descent and all this other stuff. And it's, okay, that eliminates any other potential Asian actor who could potentially read for this. And at the end of the day, I think there's so many parameters. Does the character speak that language? Does the character identify? Is is it a huge part of the storyline? Is it an American storyline? So there's just so many things. And I think now we're being going into the hard left direction of just must be this and this, but it's really hard for all the other groups who now feel like they're being pushed away and that they might not have as many opportunities to be like Southeast Asians, South Asians, like they already struggle to begin with. And so now we're just completely not even allowing opportunity because at the end of the day, like as actors, you want the best actors for these roles. So if the best actor for this role just doesn't happen to be whatever the character's descent is, it sucks. Because what if you're missing out on potentially having the best actor for that role who can maybe learn to speak that language, who can look like this part? I'll say this, like white people don't have to go through this. They they don't. There's so many examples of films, right? Like even Chernobyl, I think is one of the biggest ones where that is such a specific, unique story. No one questioned that any of those actors were not from that place and didn't speak the language. It didn't even matter. They all had different accents even. And so for us, it's like we're held at such a different standard. And 
And especially at the end of the day, if it's an American story, it's just, it's so difficult because we're now all arguing within our own community and tearing each other apart because of this. And that's not good. We need to be able to move forward collectively. And I think we are, we totally are. And the fact that we're even able to have these dialogues show the the signs of progress. There's still so much work to be done in that sense. And I know I totally just went on a rant, but no, I have so great. much to say about this topic. It's the perfect place for this. And I, that's the kind of questions we want to hold up a little more. And I know it wasn't on our outline. It's just in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point to make. Cause I think that's the conversation to be had, even with accents and doing places like that. And we've talked about casting before on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, how does that really affect the roles and the system that we, that it's being played? I think there's room for both of this question and both sides that we need more proper representation, but it can be opened up. And I think it comes down, for me, it comes down to the writers and the producers of understanding the differences. Can't just have white writers just yes. writing specifically Chinese roles and then like have to cast Chinese, but that role never had to be specifically Chinese. Maybe because yeah. the writers knew about Chinese people or culture versus yeah. Kamai or yeah. Lao or Filipino Panay. That's the, I do see that as being a, a big blocker, you really put it so well, Mickey, for me to understand that, yeah, like when are you going to read a script that's, we want a Lao main, like lead in this, and we want mm-hmm. them to, or Kamai, or it's going to be somebody from Vietnam from this time came to America, et cetera. That level of specificity maybe is starting to come up, but it, it, there's so many identities that are going to be erased mm-hmm. in, in that specificity which is is super challenging. Yeah, and I think in regards to if it's just an Asian American narrative at the end of the day, and just looking for Asian American, okay, you can now still hire whoever you want. And if if it does make a point of needing to learn their backstory or if they have how involved their family is in the story and all these things, then yeah, sure, like maybe use what that actor really is and use what their background is so then they're comfortable. But I think already, right? Talking about boxes and having to fill these things. The other big thing is like the amount of queer Asian female roles I've had to go up for and it's who is a hacker or who is whatever and has a blue streak. I can't tell you how many times I've had to read these specific things and other my friends too. And we joke about it because we're like, God, how many, of course we love that there's, they're trying to have representation for the queer community, Asian community. Cool. But it's like, how many of these roles do you need? And it's like a, it's like a cop out. And then you see who's writing and you're like, oh, okay. Sorry. All the little noises are from both my dogs. So then you see that limited progress. So there's just so much again. There's, yeah, there's so much. I could talk about this for hours, but I will say this from when I started to now, we have made much progress, Mm. but will I say there's much progress to be had? Oh yeah. We are like, (laughs) barely touching the surface of just again like what you brought up like just all the now specificities within our own community and that that needs to fully be explored and we deserve that and that we aren't monoliths and that we all have different stories and upbringings even just i'll be specific like even if it sometimes uh, a role is required for the japanese accent i hate doing it to be honest but i always then ask how thick does it need to be? Why does it need to be like this? Did she go to an international school? There's just so yes. many things that I'm like, what is the reason for her having an accent? Just so we know. But then for them to say, oh, can it be heavier? I'm like, why? 
if she's in a like how if she's lived here for how long and she moved here you know to america like again like why i just keep now i'm like really putting my foot down about like why and i really am like i don't want to do the accent if it doesn't have anything to do with the story and it's only for the audience to be like oh she's asian or she's japanese american like they audience don't know they'll know, know I mean? already <laughs> by seeing <laughs> the character exactly so <laughs> I'm just like, why? And again, this goes back to the fact that Asians are held at a different standard and that it's like for, again, white America to be able to understand that, oh, they're Asian. But I'm like, you already look at us exactly like you said, and we're Asian. So all those things, it's, you could really break it down and really get specific with a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point too, like I had someone uh, come to me, I think it really does come down to having the writers have something in it. And then, like you said before, if you cast somebody who is a a different ethnicity, then you can go and re-look at the script and see what could be changed that'd be added, even if it's something small or or, or it doesn't have to be. It's just something that we can start to play with as we start to grow. There's no hard hard structure that we have to stay on. Things more to mold. Eye-opening because... It, it requires a level of flexibility, right? For writers to be able to juke and maneuver, say, bring in stories that your actor or your the person behind the camera, who else is on set, ask them about their experiences, their identities, and be able to weave that into the, the, the script. That requires a fairly good writer. And I, I would hope that most writers are able to do that. But I also understand that there's challenges and there's even walls for writers to have to push against to advocate for this. But I love that both of you are sharing experiences where a question like, why does this character have to have an accent? Why do you think that this storyline leads to this sort of identity, et cetera? And with that question alone, it's not like you're telling off that person. It's not like you're trying to say you're wrong. It's let us have a a deeper understanding. And then I can bring some of my perspective and my experience to to the conversation and hopefully make some changes that even in a lot of the work that I do, like the day jobs work that I do is in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I find that this question of why are you choosing to act this way or why are you choosing to say this or call out this over this with leaders is crucial to them actually making change themselves Versus just like giving them the answer, saying, no, this is wrong. You need to do it this way. Being able to say, hey, why did you want to do it this way? Let's have a conversation. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, calling in versus calling out. And I think that calling in, the why question is part of that calling in strategy to influence change. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to point like a lot of it does just come to lack of education. And it's not a judgment on anyone's part. Maybe they, wherever they grew up, whoever they grew up around, like you just don't know. So I think, yeah, why is a, a positive question? And it's to give room for a dialogue to be had. And I think that's what is important in order to keep opening up all these things. And there's just so much going on right now. So I think there is room to take pause and just be like, okay, let's re-examine this and ask why certain things. But I think in general, maybe specifically for the entertainment industry is so many of us have been really scared to bring up a question. We just accept. And I think that's just maybe the Asian way, right? Of like, we put our head down. We don't ask questions. We just do the job. And we've been in, in, that's embedded in our DNA. But I think the generation now is starting to really question things and bring up things that our parents or our grandparents weren't comfortable with bringing up. 
because again, like that whole, for us, we're all part Japanese, Japanese, like that concept of gaman, right? Is just you to endure and just, you just keep pushing. And I think that concept in itself is something that we're now not accepting fully. Yes, it is still part of us, but now we're just like, okay, let's really re-examine this. So I think it is beautiful to ask like, why? At least for myself, I'm there of doing that. And I, I hope other people too, again, but it, it stems from like fear of losing the job. If we ask questions and I just want to get the job and I just, I'm supposed to just be grateful, which of course we are, but there's so much more to that then that we can contribute to whatever that we're working on with other people collaborating with. So yeah. <laughs> no more. I'm not doing that. <laughs> if I don't feel something's right, uh, I'm not going to just sit by and it can't be helped. It just, no, I'm going to say something and question and say, hey, can we do something better? But it's always that fear. I think I've been getting a lot of text messages this past weeks, like that people are afraid of speaking up because they're worried about either, I had friends talk about hate crimes and they're worried they had friends, not white people just come out and not give them the right space. They felt really attacked for that. But then also just from people talking about pushing back the industry because they're worried about getting the next job. They're worried about their agent saying, no, don't put that because you're going to be difficult to work with. I'm like, but are we not questioning what should be changed? And are, are we really challenging the thing or are we just going to be complicit? And I hear that from uh, a lot of people. So I think it's something that we sh can all start to learn and uh, practice a little more and figuring out like, how do we still push back and not be afraid that what we're saying is our truth and isn't being silenced by more white people uh, just because it's you're difficult to work with. Am I difficult or are we questioning the way you practice the way right. you see us? <laughs> yeah. And frankly speaking, like women are, we already go through that to just yeah. begin with as women. If we bring up something, we are labeled as, oh, she's a troublemaker. She's outspoken. She's the be like, she's a bitch. Like, why does it need to jump to that when we are just literally questioning and up stand standing up for ourselves? And so, then you add on that layer of being a person of color. So it's like minority, uh, like a minority. It's like a double minority. It's there's so much. And so I think just to jump to that already is that's so hard. And that's what we're battling against. I'm curious in, you know, the past few years, we've seen power building in mm -hmm. the Asian American entertainment space. And I'm sure there have been waves of this prior. And there's been a lot of work that so many actors folks behind camera, folks in executive seats have really done to lay the foundation for momentum that we have now. But in have you seen a difference in terms of building power or people in your community or even in your position feeling like you have the agency to advocate for yourself more? Mm -hmm. And then what do you think contributed to that? Yeah, I, I see, again, like growing up in the industry, I see a huge difference already. Like when I was younger again, like I felt very alone. I was not connected to the Asian American community at all. I would almost feel like shut out of, oh, I wasn't invited to this kind of thing. And oh, like they don't support me or just other things. And I could even speak like how my support or what the support I felt, especially for terror. So it's just and already within the last couple of years now, it's whether it's gatherings or support of certain films, the times is what has really changed things. And I think as an Asian, like collective American community, it did used to feel pretty divided, like you got the Chinese Americans over here, Korean Americans over here, Japanese Americans over here, Southeast Asians, over here. like everyone was pretty divided, like holding their own, which you can't blame also, because at the end of the day, like, so many of our experiences are from war-torn countries and obviously just so much of those deep-rooted things as well. But I think in the last couple of years, 
And now with I'll even say like Crazy Rich Asians, like that brought together a lot of Asian Americans to just support a film that just happened to have a huge cast of Asian American or Asians, right? And, And so that was something. And as we've grown on, like, obviously the farewell and there's just been like other films that have finally started pushing everyone together being like oh no either way at the end of the day representation is representation of the asian community so we just need to support it doesn't matter if we like it doesn't matter if we care about it it's just we need to support it no matter what and i think as a collective community we're finally starting to get there of we just need to support one another because we don't have the support as much as we need from other people so who can support it has to be our own community we cannot pit each other against each other and I think it's really beautiful. Like even in the last couple of years, like I've never had this many Asian friends in my life as far as like in the industry yeah. and it's in friends that I've made. I'm like, whoa, this is so crazy. But it's just like an instant, like I see you, you see me, we're friends <laughs> and I support you from far away. I can tell you how many people like I just followed or admired from afar and now I'm friends with them and we just were aware of each other and that was it. It's, but so I think all of our guards are starting to really come down Ooh. because we're understanding that as a community, we need to come together because all we have is each other. And obviously we have the support of our allies, but really who's going to break all these doors open? It's us. And we're only stronger together. And I think that concept is finally really starting to be instilled in all of us. And I think it's honestly really beautiful. And again, I do think that there is still so much more work to be had, but the fact that we're here already now in 2021 is just, whoa. And again, I wish I had this when I was younger, but I think we needed to all go through what we went through to get here. And I think it only will just keep progressing in the direction that we're going into now. So I do see a huge shift and it's really only in the last couple of years. But again, I think just timing is everything. And I think everyone is just finally at that point where like, all right, change starts with us. We need to be the ones bringing these conversations up. We can't wait for people in the writer's rooms or the executives and studios Mm -hmm. to to make these things happen for us. So that's why even like something like Minari, indie film, and it was created and obviously by an Asian American production, like all these things, it's yeah, because those are the type of stories that we know and we have to be able to tell because only we understand the nuances of that film. No other group can understand that but us. And it's just, we have to keep telling our story. And that was one of my favorite things about working with George Takei. It was just like, you have to make your own stories. We don't have enough of our stories being told. You have to make your own stories. And obviously there's so many different things that come with that, but there is truth to that, that it has to start with our own community. We cannot wait on other people to create stories for us. Like we all have to work together to, to figure that out. What stories do we need more than just immigrant stories at this point? Now it's just about the Asian American narrative Mm -hmm. and those experiences. So I, I am excited to see where things are going. And I, I think there is a lot that is happening right now and undercurrent. You know, I, th- I think we're just laying the foundation for what will be the future. We're going to take a quick break to listen to one of our partners. And actually, yeah, this is actually one of our partners this time. Mixed Asian Media. It's a collective created by multiracial mixed Asian Pacific Islander Americans. They seek to build a community within the mixed Asian group through conversations of what it means to be of mixed Asian Pacific Islander descent. They provide a platform to explore important experiences, build powerful relationships, and discover sought-after clarity in the mixed Asian narrative. I'm a mixed kid, and part of this mixed Asian media is really important to me to see mixed Asians talk about mixed Asian issues. Mixed Asian media for mixed Asian folks. Now, back to my interview. 
David, I'll, I'll bump it over to you because I this <laughs> where I'm taking it. I want you to take it where I'm taking it. So. No, I think it's great that you're seeing that. I think I think we're seeing it as a community, seeing from the the audience side a little bit. But I think I'll say I'm a little worried that it's just gonna it's just a, a blip. It's gonna be great today and maybe not tomorrow for whatever reason. I don't really see that happening. I feel like it's only going to go upwards. And so I don't want to stay positive on that. And I just think it will, but I'm more, I want, uh, you're right. Like we need to tell our own stories and I don't think it's in, I think it's important that we also tell the stories of our community in our separate ethnicities too. I don't think it's helpful that somebody who's not of one tells another in certain aspects. I think things are just going to fall off. It's not always from the same place and it's not that it won't be bad that someone who has the the further background within the within their ethnicity and their your themselves they're going to bring something more and it will just have resonate more with an audience who speaks to that so minari being a lot of korean americans on the production and the writing and everything from it it felt really strong with the korean community it was a good movie but it didn't feel the same i don't feel i feel like i don't i didn't resonate as much as someone who was korean that's not my story and so it as much as I could take it on for an Asian American story and an immigrant story, that's really great. But I think it felt so much more valued and just like heartfelt with the Korean American community. I think that's what was really important. As we're telling our stories, that's the nuance we need as well. Hollywood needs to get on board with that as as we're growing that because they're going to understand. Honestly, Hollywood's just mostly white people to uh, understand. That's the difference, that that there is something that we need to have that conversation with, the nuanced conversation. It might not be great. It might not have resonate with them because it's they don't understand it. It's it's something that we have as our own community is a very extremely diverse community within itself because they label us as all Asian American instead of putting in those differences in there. So we're having to bring that back out and separate, but also at the same time, be a collective Asian American. It's that it's a really big mixture of what does that, what does all this mean? We're still finding the words for ourselves, but then having to explain it to someone who's not Asian American, who can't like feel it. It's like a feeling. It's not, even, <laughs> it's not even a fact. It's a feeling that we have as a community that needs to be uh, expressed more, but then in turning it into projects and turning to stories, what do all those mean? And I don't know where you want to take it. Otherwise, I'm going to go to the terror. Yeah, I think this will lead into that. But content, I like to lean on FUBU for us, by us a lot. And this conversation has almost taken it to a different level for me because Minari is a story for Korean Americans and for Korean folks in America by Korean folks in America. And that is the beauty of it, right? To think that in Hollywood, we can make content that doesn't have to be for everybody is such a liberating idea because to be truly seen, just like you're both saying, there is there are nuances that white America, other Asian Americans... Other Latin Americans and Black Americans like won't understand, but that's okay. If it speaks to this group of people and we're, as an Asian community, still going to uplift that, even if it doesn't speak directly to us, like how beautiful is that? Again, it's instead of minimizing our differences, which is where America's on this, America's campaign has always been, we're the melting pot. We will erase your differences. We will all bleed red. So we're all American, which I I appreciate. I appreciate where that comes from. But in that process, we erase the specificity. We erase these different 
beautiful things about us that we're seeing almost a renaissance of content that is truly keyed in to specific stories like Yellow Rose. That hit for so many people who have experienced deportation and ice raids, but it also hit really specifically with the Panay and Panoy, Panay community. And that was so cool. Like none of us wanted that to be taken away. None of us wanted that identity or story to be erased. And even if it meant that Hollywood was like, oh, well, not many people will watch it. Not many people will buy the movie or see it because it's just for this community. We're, we're breaking that mold by supporting one another. And I think just to add to that, like whether or not you identify with those nuances specific to that story, it's still a story we haven't seen yet. And I think we're all just realizing, yes, 100%, there needs to be a fine balance between all of these specific, just Asian American stories or specific, whatever, descent of stories, I think. But re- we're finally realizing there is room for all of it and that there it, we have to create that space. And I think for so long in the industry wise, we were all just trying to get a seat at the table, but we're now like, oh no, we're making our own fucking table. And that part. I, yeah, and I think that's important though. And realizing like we all collectively, yeah, if I'm not, even I'm not Korean, I identified with that movie so much, Minari specific, and I loved that movie and I will support it. Like I was hardcore supporter, but of any other film as well too, like Yellow Rose, same thing. Like there is just, and even Lengua Franca, like again, like something so specific that I thought was beautiful, but I've yeah. never seen that story. And I'm like, I want to see more of these things. So I think the fact is, Again, you have all these amazing Asian descent writers and, and directors finally taking initiative of creating their own stories. And, and that's what's inspired actually for me to start writing. And so I have many projects I'm working on as well, too. But again, like we love it. We just I think everyone just needs to be able to hold space and know that, yeah, your story is important because it's probably something we've never seen because it's specific to you. Being able to learn from other community members in other places, it just feels like that's going to be authentic to the voice. That's right. going to be something that I'm going to learn, something that they are vo- vocalizing and putting onto the screen from their heart, rather than someone coming in from a, a white writer, white director saying, hey, this is what it looks like. Is that what it looks like? <laughs> and I'll have to question, and I have to question those things. But when we when we tell our stories, we're getting as close to the to a, to a, a representation that they feel is right. Yeah. And I think that's what's great. Yeah. And honestly, just a quick ad on that. If, if a white person wants to tell a story, fine. That's fine. As long as you have yeah. someone that can help you of whatever community it is that you're trying to explore and, and show, please have someone that can help you guide you through that. And please ask questions, not just take the authority of like, I know everything because clearly you don't. I'm okay with another person telling that story if they want to and they have a name or whatever. And this is something that holds whatever truth to them. Cool. But just again, please make sure you have someone or a team of people helping with that research, helping make sure like in checking you basically to make sure you are getting it right. Yeah. I, I'm working with a writer now who's not Asian, but she lets me ask the questions. She lets me and takes in from full value. And I appreciate that. She's one of the, I was honestly the one of the first people who, who texted me after Atlanta. And I was like, oh, okay. She, so she really gets it. And I think and that's the value you need to. It's not even just, oh, you're a consultant, so I can take it or I can leave it. Yeah. But like really the expert in, in that culture. So got to really uh, add to it if you want to make this or you're going to, something's going to fall. I'm processing it because okay. I, there's just, uh, Mickey, one of the things that you said 
was a the perfect soundbite. And I think that's like holding space for each other and holding that those stories are authentic. They're coming from a place of value, uplifting that as our community and really being able to see stories that were never told before. Like I, I personally thought that that's what Hollywood's point was. I thought the dynamic appeal of Hollywood was to tell stories you've never seen before. And then 17 Spider-Men later, I'm like, what? And I, and I always use Spider-Man just because personally, I still forget like who is Ben Spider-Man after so many iterations or Batman. And it's not a dig. I know people love that content, uh-huh. but I also want to see completely new stories. Yeah. Or Silk, right? Marvel has been looming around the story of Silk, the Mm Korean-American Spider-Woman. Like, Mm -hmm. cool. Story we haven't seen before. Want to see the nuances there. (laughs) Yeah. As long as they don't put Scarlett Johansson. I'm putting that there because that's just the truth. That's just the truth. No, she has just in general. But I did want to ask that you, your audience who doesn't know, you're on the Terror season two, which is based in a Japanese American incarceration camp. Being in a mostly Japanese American cast or Japanese cast, like what was that feeling like to be feel like you're just surrounded by a lot of Asian people who understood? So this is probably like my third project that I've been that's a majority Asian. And but obviously this one meant so much more and it just was a different meaning because of the story and so i remember when i was even reading for it i went in and the my showrunner alex Wu and some of the producers were there and i just said i don't care if i get this just thank you for making this story and that's it i was like i'm just happy that you guys are making this story this is something that needs to be told that hasn't been seen in this light thank you and that's all i said and i literally was like i don't care if i get this job i'm just happy they're making this and then obviously cut to like me being a part of the show. It was just, yeah, I've never had that experience of just there's more than one in that sense right now as an adult to like really appreciate it. There's more than one Asian person on set, but then, oh, there's another person that is Japanese or and it's interesting. Our cast in itself, like they did a worldwide search. So I will say like our show, AMC plus our showrunners specific and the, and the producers were all very adamant about all the cast needing to be of Japanese descent. And that was very, in our showrunner who he's Chinese American, for him, that was something that was really important. And I do really appreciate that, especially because of such a historical aspect of the, of the actual story. So our, our cast, we had uh, one, Shingu Sami is from uh, Australia, he's, but he's from Japan, but he's lived in Australia. So he identifies as Australian right now. And now Komori, who is also from Japan, but you know, she lived in the States and then she has been living in London for the last like over 20 years. So it's everyone has such a different like worldview at this point. And we all just came into this pot. And then like me, I'm second generation Japanese American. And then like Derek Mio, who was fourth generation. He had his grandparents that in his family that were in, incarcerated. And then you have George Takei, obviously. And then and then we have Kiki Skizana, who is from Japan and has been living in the States for a little bit. And then of course Christina Rodlow as well, who's from Mexico and not um, American. So it's like a very it was an interesting group to mm-hmm. begin with, but we all just immediately became family. And that in itself was so beautiful. Just again, because we knew what the story was, even though the background of all the horror stuff is fun and cool and scary and stuff like that. But we knew what the actual story was and the purpose. And for me personally, because I didn't have it, I'm second gen, like I didn't have any family members that were um, incarcerated. 
I only have heard stories. I've only heard from my friends' families. I've only briefly read about it. Like, I just felt like this immediate, oh shit, I really need to do research and make sure, especially because my character is not, is fictional. So I needed to make sure I needed to tell whatever story I needed to tell. So I picked up all these books, many different, especially perspectives of different women, of Japanese American women specifically. And just, I, I wanted to read different angles of the entire experience. And I also like the Order 9066 podcast. And I think that Den Show puts on, that's a great mm-hmm. podcast too. And then hearing the actual voices of people that went through the experience. So I just really dove and did my research as much as I could. And then through that with my character, specifically Amy Yoshida, I really saw her of who she would become, which was to me was Yori Kochiyama. And, and I really wanted to kind of mold my character after her as what was Yuri like before she was the Yuri Kochiyama. And so for me, that was my, my own personal thing with her. But yeah, I sent, I felt this sense of deep sense of obligation to make sure I told the story in the way I could. But again, a lot of what it will happen is fictional for just the storytelling purposes. And again, you have this added layer of horror. But yeah, as people of Japanese descent on our set, like we were all very vocal um, about set decoration things, costume, dialogue. And we thankfully had an amazing crew of writers and our showrunner who were all very open to everything that we had to say. And that I think really helped because we felt a sense of responsibility, right? At the end of the day. And, and we didn't really know if any people from Japan would watch it, but even the specifics of the certain type of Japanese that they spoke, which was a Wakayama Ben like di- dialect. And so even that was chosen from the actors that they wanted to do this because for them, that's important of like, where did this family come from? And now living on Terminal Island and like all these different things of the specifics to them were very important, even though an American audience wouldn't care. But for them, they wanted to make sure that they got those specifics for themselves, at least just as like more character background. But yeah, just being on set was was we had as as crazy as it looks. We had so much fun. And that is a memory I will cherish with me forever. Just again, like that experience in itself is so unique. And I really hope for every other Asian descent actor that they get a chance to work with an all Asian cast because at one point in their career, because that is a whole other experience from just doing anything else to any part. It just, that camaraderie is just so different. And just like small nuances of different things that happen on set and offset too. It's just like the amount of times that we cook together, ate together, and like, it's all this like certain specific foods, like nabe and like all this stuff. It's just so fun. It's so interesting. And then we were obviously living in Vancouver at the time too. So like that in itself is a different experience. But yeah, it was, I have nothing but amazing things to say. That's really cool. Just a quick question. Cause did you ever meet Asab Shimono on set? He was in the last episode. He was only there for a minute. So, do you know what part? Uh, he was the last episode. He was doing. I didn't even. I didn't finish the last episode. It's just like I think he's in the mm-hmm. death afterlife. He was also. Oh, cool. You mentioned the nine zero six six podcast. He was one of the co-hosts, right? That's who uh, my see, uncle is. Maybe the name oh, okay. resonates. Yeah, but I, I didn't meet. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Got it. I just wanted to know. I was curious. Mm-hmm. No, it's really cool. And I think it's, I think you've brought up some uh, important parts that you said that you, the showrunner listened to you, listened to the cast, listened to some notes and stuff like that, especially being not Chinese, not a Japanese American. There's, there's things that they have to take from. So with that too, like uh, the show actually got a lot of pushback from the Japanese American community, wasn't vocal, like Japanese Americans, it's not 
this is Chicago and I just let it go. But there there was, and including for myself. But what do you want to see? Mainly it was like some of the historical inaccuracies beyond just the, the ghost story part of it, just some of the inaccuracies of it, the portrayal of the community and misrepresentation of history. I won't go into it if we don't have to, but what do you what would you like to see moving forward with historical stories of Asian Americana? Because I think there's more, so much more to put. I'm not even like guessing, like I know there's so much to be told. So what would you like to see added to that factor? What do you think that would help them become more, more nuanced for that conversation? No, this is a great question. I think there's a lot of different points. I think, and I didn't know about the back push until like way later when it was released and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day for me, I just felt like this was something that has not been made on cable TV yet. Like the just the portrayal of Japanese Americans and the, the incarceration and just that in itself. I had so many people who reached out to me or just saw like comments, Twitter, whatever, just being like, this is a real thing that happened. And it's, whoa. And you, you do realize that depending on what part of the country you're from, the education system in America is all different, which is fucked up. But that is true. And like, that is what it is at the end of the day. And I I, like that, like my mouth like goes to like drops when I remind myself of that, but it's, it's true. There are Americans right now who as an adult have never heard of that. And it's only specific to the West coast. So even our education system was different. And then of course people in the South and then the Midwest and the East coast, it's also different. So I think at the end of the day for specifically speaking, the Japanese American community, I think I wish that there was a little bit more openness to the fact that this story was being told and it hadn't been told yet. And maybe again, like all the the details of everything were not as accurate. And again, like right, so many different camps, so many different experiences within that itself too. And I feel like just to be open of, and, and it just being like, at least the story is being told in whatever way it needs to be told. And that this is our, just a conversation starter is what I think the, the broader perspective needs to be. So some leniency is what I wish there was. And in that, yeah, I didn't feel as much support, honestly, from the Japanese community, Japanese American community, which I was like, sucks, because this is something I haven't seen. This is something that so many other people haven't seen. And that show did create a lot of conversation starters for people who then started doing research about the incarceration of Japanese Americans and what happened. And I think that in itself is what is greater. And we need to look at the bigger picture things of that. And I think at the end of the day, like for any project, someone is always going to say something about anything. Someone's that's that's just the inevitable. So no matter what, when George was a George Decay was a consultant for the show and he was incarcerated. So at the end of the day, like the research team and the writers, they all did as much as they could. Of course, they're not going to get everything perfect. And so, of course, like people like us, we stepped in as cast to correct certain things or just like small things on set or whatever. But there's only so much we can do. So I think to just be so critical of things sometimes is we get in our own way, especially in our own community. Like we are sometimes our worst enemies of being like so critical of one another when it's I think we just need to really be compassionate and hold space and hold an open heart that there is room for growth even within our own community and that we are all still learning and growing together. And by tearing each other down, you're now like lying to what the, the white community wants is like they're fighting within their own community. Look at them. Like, how do we really show unity within our own? So I think there's a lot on every side to this. And I think at the end of the day, it's okay, let's see really what the bigger picture is 
of this story being told. And of course, like moving forward, I can only hope that there just needs to be continuous research for historical projects and bringing on a consultant, more than one consultant, maybe who comes from different backgrounds. And what does that look like? And the dialect coach and like all these other things that might be necessary for telling this historical story in itself. And then of course, for like, if the actors need to portray a certain character, then for them to hopefully have done their own research. And that if they need to also be provided from studio or whatever of extra education, like then that needs to be, it's not just, oh, you're on your own, but maybe be provided for them as well too. So I think they're just, we can all just do so much more collectively, I think, to move the conversation and the narrative forward, especially in telling historical stories, because we're all still just learning and everyone has a different experience. So I think it's easy to be critical about anything, but at the end of the day, it's like we have to question ourselves of, okay, then if we're being critical, what are we doing to change this this narrative? Rather than just pointing fingers all the time that they didn't get it right. Because of course, blatant ignorance is blatant ignorance. But if you see people trying, then at least have a dialogue with them of, okay, we appreciate that your interpretation was this, but this is what we feel. Rather than just maybe even not saying anything, because then how is that going to change? It's going to become this cycle. I really, again, do believe like we can sometimes be our own, you know, worst critics and we need to learn from that as well, too. So as a lot I said, and hopefully I said yeah. some. No, that's cool. I, I think it's important that what you said, uh, we have, we do have that dialogue. I'm, I go very deep into this topic of what that show meant to me and how just what it did for the community, but also I, I don't want to really go too far into it because i think it, it's not you know i could talk about it for a long time because i have done the research i before the show was done i've read so many books i'm actually curious which books you've read to see which ones i have read and which ones i haven't because i just i binge read through all of them but i just felt like it's not even i just felt like some of the things were really not even portrayed wrong they were but some things were just i think it's mainly the bigger picture of it for me was that because so many people don't know about it, to tell this in a way that misrepresented a lot of the community in certain ways, not everything. Obviously, the setting was a lot, right? The accuracies of the kind of the story, the way it was kind of told was fine. But the, some of the things that the fictionalizing of a historical thing that some people, that a lot of people just don't know about at all, uh, mixes in which is reality and which is fiction. And that becomes the uh, problem of the, the society. So to see a show that's, really twist the history in certain ways beyond just the ghost part of it it, it kind of misrepresents in certain ways and that's that was the main pushback that's my pushback for the for sure i appreciate all the actors i don't fault any of them in any way any people who worked on it it's just the larger picture of where it comes from and what historical things can do so i think because people don't know that's what it twists into it can actually be heartbreaking in itself too, just as a writer. This is why I think we all don't get too attached. We create in the industry knowing that it goes through these processes of, yeah, sometimes erasure or, or taking out of stories. But if you're so attached to a character, but they, they have a very likely getting, uh, they're very likely to get cut. This is bringing a question that I have in general about content and history or content and social movements is what is the obligation of the content to drive the social change, to drive the education? And what is the actual job of the fucking government to <laughs> educate us? I lived in Seattle during a lot of formative years of my life, and I never learned about incarceration in school, at a private school. And it wasn't until my auntie took me to a cafe where they have a hole in the ground with a window and you can see the suitcases of the Japanese American folks who have left their 
items there. And immediately I was like, wait, why are these here? What's, what is this? And that introduction had to be made. And this is her, part of her, you know, family's history and not a part of mine because my family is Shin Issei and, and came to Japan much later than incarceration. But that question of education, what's the, what's the role of shows? What's the role of the entertainment industry to push the narrative, to push social change? And what's the responsibility that shows have to take to ensure that what is being put out there drives the conversation or isn't harmful? And that is, I think with the show, with the terror and with the conversation around it, that began to open a door to this happening for the next show. And just as you said, Mickey, like you being able to say from my own experience working on this is these are the key things that are valuable, having the history having the research done by the writers and the showrunner, but also the actors having a responsibility and an ability to influence that as well. That blew my mind because again, a lot of the times you don't see actors being able to influence a show in that way. But with that collective power, with the voice that y'all had, you were able to. And I'm I'm hoping, I am a really positive and optimistic person when it comes to the future of this industry and the future of this country too. But I, I think that by opening this conversation and allowing for this show to be a representation of a, a future show, like Warrior is doing historical stuff, like other shows that are going to be tying into historical Asian stories, like this is the conversation that needs to be ha- have on set or in the writing rooms. Like, what's our responsibility as the writers? What's the responsibility of our community? How are we going to blend that? And then- what can we do to move forward? Because you're right, there's not a lot of people who see the behind the scenes that forces stories to change, forces stories to go another way. But then how are we also arming those people in the stories to have that power to be like, okay, we're pushing this. We're going right. to push this. Right. Yeah. What message do you want to send to Asians in entertainment? That you have a place, that there is space for you, that your story can be told that you are seen and you are being heard. And just to com- continue to push your envelope, not just for the greater of the community, but for yourself too. And that there is room for everyone. And that, yeah, we deserve to be here. Nikki, appreciate your perspective. The perspective that you bring about embracing lots of, holding many different truths to be true at the same time. Sit so not that one truth is better than the other, that one story is more important than the other. I think that's when white supremacy begins to internalize in our own community is when we think that the door, we have to have a line, a queue. I know stereotype Japanese people love to queue and line up for things, but we don't have to line up. There's many doors that we can open, many tables that we can create to build our stories. And what I really take away from your message is how can I as an individual keep bringing people to that table, even if they're not Asian Americans. Ideally, not just Asian Americans, but a lot of people. Get people to watch Minari, get people to watch Yellow Rose, Lingua Franca, all Nomadland, I mean, just to support. What are you watching? Watching Last Chance U right now, the basketball one about East LA College. I love Last Chance U on Netflix. It's one of my favorite series, but the basketball one is just, oh, it's just like, I love basketball. So yeah, I'm watching that right now. <laughs> and I've been on this like tip of just like, classic uh japanese films right now so a lot of like kurosawa you know a lot of like just that whole lane of things like i 
either haven't seen or just like reliving them. But yeah. So on that tip right now too. And I guess you'd say a classic Asian cinema. So got like Wong Kar Wai and everything too. So yeah, all that. Oh, I need to dive into Wong Kar Wai again. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. And our last question is, who do you want to uplift or who should the audience know about? I want to uplift first and foremost, all the AAPI community as a whole right now and really hold space for them as um, they're going through everything. And also just all the marginalized communities, Black, Brown, Indigenous, everyone, because I think we're all going through a lot of different things. And it's important to remember that each community is really struggling right now and that each no, no one community is struggling more than the other. It's just we are collectively facing a lot of things and that we are stronger together and that we need to remember that you know, like the Latinx community is going through a lot of things and support them and remember that like, we can't just roll over them like indigenous communities well we can't roll over them everyone really just needs to be supported right now and feel seen so how can we mm. continue to do that together because it's easy I think to get up whirl- whirlwinded right in one cause and then now we're focused on this community but how do we focus on the community but also really support all the other communities at the same time so yeah last question what do you like to do to help a community feel seen i think it's so hard right because obviously on a specific level like if you have certain friends and having those kind of dialogues but as like a as a whole i don't know just like asking what you can do or not even asking just like really trying to do your own research of what things you could possibly do because everyone is tired of asking or answering questions of what you can do so i think it's just trying to really just figure it out for yourself. Like if that's where your heart is at, at the moment, then how can you go support that and whatever. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Oh my God, thank you guys. full <laughs> actor, as a full-time like community builder and also advocate for people. Trust me, I'm not doing shit, guys. <laughs> Good. I hope slinging gyoza, I'm going to count that as work and community building. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we can all get dinner or something eventually soon and we'll do mm, that real. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks again to Mickey for this wonderful conversation. I know I got a little heated in there and I have problems with the industry. It's not against any of the actors who work on these projects. It's honestly just the system. They do racist things and they're putting out content that really doesn't communicate with the community and they're not doing their due diligence. And so I'm going to push back. I have no problem pushing back. If we don't push back at all, then nothing's going to get changed. If we don't show Hollywood that there's issues within the system and that we're not showing them that these things are harmful, stereotypes they keep playing then nothing's ever going to get changed. So I think it's important to push. And if you're looking at the industry in the same way I do, don't be afraid to speak up. Because when we speak up, things get changed. That's how movements work. So even right here, I I want to follow up with one thing that Mickey said, that she mentioned that only Asian Americans are the only people who have the country attached to their identity. But I know that's not true. We see great Asian Canadians, British Asians, Asian Australians out there. There There's so many people who, who have that same issue, have the same attachment to their country or to their where they were born and how they're at. And honestly, I'm super interested in having interviews with Asians from around the globe because when they're coming into Hollywood, I keep hearing this thing that they have to adapt American accents, which I think is really funny because American Asians are being told to do Asian accents. So we're going to have an episode on that at some point. Tune in next week for our episode with Ryan Alexander Holmes. In the beginning of any representation of something that hasn't been represented before. Like me being a Blasian, I didn't see other Blasians in that. The producers that were there or the casting directors that were there or the director who was leading me through it. 
So a part of me is just like, ah. But also part of me is, oh, this would be amazing to be able to be myself. That's it for our episode today. We'll see you next week. This has been Strong Asian Lead, and I'm your host, David Masami Moria.